Welcome to episode two of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, joined in this episode by Shanna Burnett and Kara Goucher. In this episode, as promised, we're going to talk more about the Clean Sport Collective, what that's all about, and also why we're doing this podcast. And then we're going to drill into, with both of you, your experience at a recent anti-doping conference. You went to a conference in London with the Partnership for Clean Competition, the PCC. So we'll get to more on that conference, what you guys learned from it, maybe what frustrated you, what also maybe gave you hope from the fight on clean sport and the fight against doping. Just to recap, and we talked about some of this in episode one, Shanna, what is the Clean Sport Collective? So the Clean Sport Collective is a nonprofit. It is set up as a 501c3. And it's set up as a way to bring awareness for clean sport um, and more looking at it from a lens of clean sport rather than anti-doping. We wanted to set up a place where we can celebrate and support clean athletes. And by doing so, you can take pledges. You could go online at cleansport.org and you can see our website and there's pledges that you can take fitting on where you fall in the bucket. There's one for professional athletes. And if any professional athlete signs a clean sport pledge, they're also signing to the fact that there is a $25,000 fine if they're ever caught cheating or doping. Um, And then there's also a pledge for brands or sponsors, which is a huge part of the clean sport discussion that I think sometimes gets overlooked. Um, There's one for amateur athletes. There's one for fans, coaches, agents, uh, doctors, and just a place where everybody could come in and not only celebrate clean athletes, but then also have a collective where we all hold each other responsible and raise up clean sport together. This is your brainchild. It is. And you raised your hand and said, I want to do this. So tell us more about you. Who is Shanna Burnett? So I ran at the University of Colorado. I am originally from Carson City, Nevada. I was a four-time state champion there. And then I was recruited to CU. I read that book, Running with the Buffaloes, and I thought, wow, they're crazy. I'm never going to go there. CU, Um, University of Colorado. Yes. So, um, but I was actually verbally committed to Columbia University in New York City. Um, My father had two PhDs and he was a professor, so he was very much academics. Um, But my mother was my high school running coach, so she got me into running. She was actually a really good runner herself, um, ran in the time of Mary Decker and Athletics West and all of that time. Um, And she was a pioneer woman runner. Like she, my grandfather had three daughters, unfortunately for him, so he, you know, always made them little athletes. And I remember like stories of her, like she was getting rocks thrown at her when she was running because girls weren't supposed to run at that time. So she was always a tough mom, but a great mom. And she really got me into my love of running. Um, and my dad was definitely the academic. So I had high expectations on both sides of my parents for 4.0 and state championships, which I think always like really like brought out the best in me. They were never, um, overly strict about that, but they always demanded my best. Um, and so when Mark Wetmore like called my athletic director at, um, Carson high school to say like that 
University of Colorado was interested. I mean, they won national champions and um, championships in nationals and cross country. And I was like, are you joking? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I had my fifth uh, recruiting trip, so I had to go out there. And I was very studious, AKA dork. <laughs> and I had a clipboard of 21 questions for all of my coaches. And I remember sitting down with Mark Wetmore um, at this little cafe that's sadly no longer here in Boulder. And he just blew me away. Like he believed in me. He wanted me to be a national champion, but he was more well-rounded. It wasn't always about like, you're going to run and that's all you're going to be. I mean, he is also a graduate from Columbia and he actually persuaded me not to go there because he was like, do you really want to run Central Park for the rest of uh, <laughs> your four years? And sitting down with him was like really like life changing and going to Boulder and meeting the girls. I was like, I, I definitely want to come here. So I came here and ran. Um, unfortunately, I had six stress fractures at CU. I never competed healthy. Uh, it was really a hard time for me uh, because I thought I was going to live out this dream and it just was not in my in my wheelhouse. So then I went Unfortunately, a part of my story is my junior year, my father passed away unexpectedly um, from a heart attack running with my mom in Southern California. And that definitely like rocked my world. It changed my outlook on everything. Um, Jenny Simpson and I were the only ones running the steeplechase at the time. And we were supposed to get on a plane to go to Baylor to go compete at Big 12s and the steeplechase together. And I ended up going to Southern California to bury my dad. So that was really hard for me. And I think it continued my love hate with running almost because I loved it, but then he died running and then I never got to fulfill what I wanted to do in running. Um, so I went back his route and studied um, really hard for the GMAT and ended up going to MBA school at University of Portland. I, the coach there like ended up recruiting me to finish out my last year of eligibility, but I decided I was done with running. So I just wanted to focus really hard and get a 4.0 um, from University of Portland. And so when I graduated from UP, I uh, went to San Diego. My husband was working for a competitor group at the time. And we moved to San Diego and I uh, got married and then got pregnant really quickly. So <laughs> I started at a San Diego PR agency there um, and I uh, brought a couple brands on board and then I decided once I was eight months pregnant going to pop and sitting in San Diego traffic I'm like I'm out I can't do this anymore <laughs> <laughs> so we moved back to Boulder and my mom was here because she moved out here when my father passed away so then um, fast forward to my second child I was pregnant with my second child my son and started decided to start um, a marketing agency while I was giving birth to makes my total sense. Yeah, totally. I was like, <laughs> plenty of time for that. <laughs> this is a great plan. <laughs> you should definitely do that. And at the time I was really close to the noon CEO, the former CEO, his name is Mason Ray. He was actually a very pivotal person in my life. And he introduced me to the founder of Wazelle, which was Sally Bergeson. And they were a very new, fresh company. They didn't even sign, had Lauren Fleshman at the time. And I remember borrowing Mason's car because I was there in Seattle on a noon trip and I drove to Sally Bergeson's house and I was like, I believe in you and <laughs> I know you have no reason to believe in me because I only have results from my previous agency, but I promise you we can crush it together. And she signed a 
contract at of shannonburnett at gmail.com because <laughs> that's how official I was at the time. And uh, yeah, they were our first official client at ModCraft. So did a lot of like press for them and um, fought the good fight with them. It was really, it was a great time because they believed in something and they are a woman's brand pushing the boundaries in, in more ways than just for the women's side, but for our sport. Um, they're really outspoken and, um, then strangely, like out of the blue, Adam Goucher and I connected and he called me and he was like, Hey, I really need to tell you something. Um, Kara and I are moving back to Boulder. Can you help us tell that story? And I was like, yeah, I can write a press release. And at this time I was working with like Noon Hydration and Wazelle and all these great brands and and then to have put out this press release and i remember like seeding it to wall street journal and a couple of running publications and it got like i need this story now like i need <laughs> to have the first story and i was like whoa this is another beast like i thought it was just gonna <laughs> obviously now knowing what we know they were leaving nike and i knew that but i didn't realize the clawing for the story that it would become um and it was like my first like put on your big girl pants like this is like going to be legit. Time to go. Yeah. Yeah. So put out that story. And then um, Karen and I, when she moved back, we got really close. And um, I, we were working together on just like her next moves. And then I was with Wazelle and then she was actually not going to sign with Wazelle at the time. And we were not going to be able to work together and, I remember leaving this at Starbucks when she was there and uh, walking away and like crying and just not feeling like this was like right. And and Sally and I were really close and we were, we were all talking about it and we we're like, we need Kara. Kara like, needs to be a part of Wazelle. We can't. I mean, she's just too powerful in, in her story, well beyond her results. Just who she is a person and the impact that she brings to our sport. So... Um, yeah, so then we ended up working together and then just through our organic, authentic relationship, I became her agent. And I mean, fast forward five years later, now we started a nonprofit because of everything as an agent and not only as an agent, but more than that, someone that deeply loves and respects and cares about this woman. Like she's one of my best friends. I would die for her in a second. I was like, watching her go through this and feeling it's like somebody you really love going through a car wreck in front of you and you can't do anything but you'd much rather be in that car for them that's how i felt at the time it was really hard and seeing that like pain and her strength and bravery through the situation and being frustrated that there wasn't a way that we could support her or other clean athletes that sometimes don't feel like they belong when they're the only ones that should feel like they belong so that was why we started the clean sport collective that was the genesis that was the, or the reason for the genesis was it a light bulb that went off to say hey i need to do this thing maybe not having a name for it yet or was it something that came out of longer conversations it was a lot of it so the ceo of noon hydration now he's also on the board his name's kevin rutherford he's always been an agent for positive change as well and then we had a pastor whose name was Ramin. He was also on the board. We had this crazy idea, but they also backed it up. They're like, you need to do this. 
Um, and we need to do this and be able to really get it out there. So it was a group of us that came up with it. Um, I can't take all the credit. My husband, Kevin Burnett, is always this visionary. Um, he has these visions that far, like, surpass what is going on. So he was, he's really the vision of it. I'm just an executor. (laughs) (laughs) Get it done. Kara, when she brought this idea to you the first time, what did you say? What did you think? I loved the idea of it. I was intimidated of her taking all that on. It's, it was so much work just to even launch it, just to like announce that there's a place for people to go all of the copy to write up for people to take the pledge, like thinking down, getting it as a nonprofit, thinking about what, like, what could we do with it? I, I felt intimidated for her because at the time I was still hoping to make another world championship team. And I'm like, Hey, I, I loved it. And I felt, I mean, honestly, I felt like emotional, like just so loved that she cared so much that she was like recruiting all these people to try to make this big, huge positive change. But I felt like oh, I can't really like help you with that right now. Like I have too many other irons in the fire and I support it and I love it, but I can't be behind the scenes. And I yeah, I think just this past year, I feel like my role has changed and I'm, I'm less about race results and more about change. And so we will talk about this later, but we went to this anti-doping conference together and I was like, this is the time is now Like we got to bring the clean sport collective back and we got to make it start doing the things that you initially intended for it to do. And you launched it originally in 2016 and immediately got a lot of reaction. So talk about that initial launch, how that went, what was the outcome initially? The initial launch really was humbling. Um, We had a lot of brands and athletes like big name athletes and big names brands step up to the plate. Brooks was one of the very first brands that signed the pledge. Saucony, um, Ultra, Noon, Wazelle. So we had about 50 brands that have signed the pledge. And then a lot of prominent athletes that also signed. Um, Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, uh, Phoebe Wright, Amy Hastings, Gwen Jorgensen, Lauren Fleshman, Jesse Thomas, uh, Rob Carr. Jesse Diggs, who won the gold medal in cross-country skiing. So we were really overwhelmed and humbled by the support that we saw right out of the gates. Um, and it was definitely a lot of pressure, too, because you're like, okay, well, now people believe in you, and you know, you need to make this work. And um, yeah, I just I feel like it was a moment where we were like, we really knew that people cared they gave a damn you know and that was so awesome to see because when you launch something you have no idea you could be like people are gonna care or they're gonna be like wah wah you know you so to see the passion and the and the support further that we needed to continue to do this and personally i can speak to the fact that you know you guys make available the opportunity for race directors to sign it our local marathon in Austin, where I'm from, signed the pledge and has now committed to only inviting elite athletes that have signed the pledge or are willing to sign the pledge. And there have been runners who have been busted actually running my local hometown race, which sometimes has prize money. Now it does. It's had years where it hasn't. 
But when it had prize money before, you would always get these questionable characters at the front of the race who who I believe were cherry-picking these smaller races, but doing it in the wrong ways. And so to see the race director of the Austin Marathon sign the pledge himself as an organization and then also require those that are going to come and race for money in my city, it's just, it's cool to see that. The impact goes well beyond just those that are competing at the highest levels. I'm talking about a local Austin race that might have 12,000 people in it and, you know, is not going to attract Olympians. But I have friends who can win it and I've seen them had money taken from them because some have showed up and doing it the wrong way in prior years before the Clean Sport Collective. So that to me is just really, really cool. Had there been any surprises in terms of people that came to support that you didn't expect? That was a big thing that I left out as race directors Um, and not only, you know, like Austin Marathon, he's been amazing. And not only did he sign the pledge that all of clean athletes have to um, join, but then like any agent that has a clean athlete, maybe they have a dirty athlete, then that agent is not allowed to have any athletes. So he's been huge. I mean, like the guy, the race director for Western States has been so supportive and he's always had a clean race. Um, so I don't, I think what was surprising, surprising was the amount of impact that we had but then on the flip side I think where we failed or thought didn't think it through was we left it up to fundraising from the people and I think that was short-sighted thinking because we didn't get that fundraising coming in early on so now we're you know looking for internal fundraisings and grants so that we don't have to have that call on people um and I think that that's such a huge landscape of anti-doping and clean sport that you have to really work together and what we can do at clean sport collective well is not what the pcc the partnership for clean sport does well and we all need to find a way to work together to build each other up and to grow that so i think that's where i would reevaluate how we launched so kara when you saw the names of athletes that came in to sign the pledge How did you react to that? I was happy. I mean, you know, like Gwen Jorgensen had just won gold in Rio and she was super excited about it. Like, please send me some tattoos. Like, I really want to be a part of this. Um, I thought it I thought it was great. I I was interested in the people that chose to not sign it because it, it, it doesn't. It's not, it doesn't mean you support one brand over another, right? You're just saying like, I'm going to race clean. Um, But I was impressed with all of the like fans and amateur athletes that signed it. I mean, just so many people and so many tweets and messages saying thank you for letting us be a part of it. That I thought that was just so moving and just like Shanna said, really showed that people care and maybe there's been a, we've been missing something for the for the fans and for the amateur athletes to have a voice um, and to show that they care. There hasn't been really been a place for them to do that. So, Kara, you don't get paid to do this. No. <laughs> I mean, you're spending <laughs> a lot of time on something. <laughs> Shanna, either. You're spending a lot of time on something that you don't get paid for. I mean, just in the last couple of days as we're launching this podcast, we've spent, I don't know, six hours on on this for something you're not getting paid for why 
Well, I think there's like a few things that I'm really, really passionate about. And, you know, elevating women to have equal rights as men is definitely one of those things. And protecting clean athletes is one of those things. And so it's it's an opportunity for me to get out some of those frustrations while working for the, the greater good. You know, like I, I can get really frustrated, but here's an opportunity for me to hopefully advance the next generation so that it's better. And, you know, it, you don't really worry about getting paid when you feel like you're doing something that might actually change a life. So, Shanna, we're at this point where we're, where you are essentially relaunching Clean Sport Collective. You've had good traction so far, but there's more to do. This podcast is a part of it. So quickly, why a podcast? And then we'll talk more about what else you're hoping to do with it. Yeah. So I think the podcast obviously came to mind because listening to your podcast, Chris, <laughs> I'm going to bring you into it. Okay. You know, um, there's a lot of people that I think do it the right way, but then there's those that want to even go further regardless of pay or any of that to make a difference. And you've always, you've been that person. So after meeting you and having that conversation, I was like, I feel like this is something that we can do together. And Karen, I have no idea about, you know, (laughs) podcast experience like you do. So meeting you and connecting with you was a huge blessing. And I think that what we're really good at is raising awareness and helping educate. And like you said, instilling hope because watching Kara go through this time when they're in Adam, when they're doing the right way, when they are telling the truth and backing it up, and then it's a dark, lonely space. That is not how it should feel when you're doing the right thing. That is the opposite of how you should feel when you're telling the truth and doing something. It should be this light and these people behind you. And I think that's what is so important is not only to have hope, but to instill light. And it's all for the future. When we look at our children, we know any, any person that's ever paved the way it's, it's not about you and you can only do so much in this generation, but it's really that hope for the future generation of how we can actually walk the walk, not just talk the talk to do something to improve that. Well, I was happy you asked. It's, it's, I don't know what people believe if they believe in God, the universe, something coordinating us all together and in ways that we would never expect. But, but this is certainly not something I ever expected to be doing, but it's something I'm really passionate about. So I will speak a little bit to maybe what I represent here, which is that I'm just a fan. I'm a fan of the sport. I have another podcast, the running rogue podcast. That's all about running training as well as building up athletes in the sport so we can raise awareness to the great stories that there are in our sport. But I've also been at that place as a fan where I've been jaded because of positive tests or athletes that I thought I could believe in that I couldn't believe in. And as you say, that's a dark place. I, it's not fun to not want to cheer for something because you think it's dirty. And I've been at that place in running specifically and in other sports that I follow where I say, I don't know if I can watch it anymore because I can't believe in what I'm seeing. And that's just a tragedy because there's so much about sport that's uplifting that can result in 
people changing their lives can result in the world changing. And I don't, I want to be a part of whatever we can do to bring hope in that equation. And as somebody who has fallen back in love with running from a jaded place, I believe that you can be a fan and can have hope if you're educated about what's happening. And this podcast is a lot about that. It's how we can educate fans on what's happening out there in the clean sport world and in anti-doping efforts, but also putting forward and celebrating athletes that are doing it the right way so that people can have hope. People can cheer. I agree. And I will say one step even more is we need to humanize it. So many, I think when you're a little bit step back and you're maybe, you know, just a fan or not even just a fan, that's a huge thing, but maybe you're not even a fan, only watch sports from an outside view. Like if you think about these athletes and you empathize with them and whatever your profession, you're thinking, okay, my coworker or my boss is cheating and lying and stealing these moments from me, think about like, this is their profession. And I think some pe- sometimes they're like, well, why do you even care? And I'm like, if you take it to your situation, wherever you're at, you care. And this is, these are their livelihoods. This is their whole life of ethical people doing it the right way. And then maybe never seeing that quote unquote promotion that they rightfully deserve because somebody is cheating and stealing and lying instead. And I think we need to all as people, because I'm not at that level uh, either, but we need to think about it and empathize with them because it is a big deal. And I think sometimes we're like, oh, it's not a big deal, but it is. And it's a battle that can be won. You know, we've been talking about this in the last two days, Kara, about how there's a lazy argument out there that we shouldn't care, that we should just let people do whatever they want so that we don't have to worry about it get rid of testing, just let people be on whatever they want. So we all know that's the way it is. Why is that a false argument? There's endless reasons why that's a false argument. That argument is like nails on a chalkboard to me. It is just such a lazy, lazy way to look at it. When, you know, if you want to start your own league where you can do whatever you want, go ahead. But things like the Olympic Games are special for a reason. They are moments in time where we see greatness and we see athletes that are truly exceptional. And that's what we should be highlighting. And I don't want to tell the next generation, yeah, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z to make it. You have to or force them into a position where they have to do that to keep up. It's That is just so sad and lazy to me. Athletes agree to follow the rules of their sport. And if you can't follow those rules, get the F out. <laughs> we don't need you. And I want to protect what we have. Like the sport is a beautiful thing where we see humanity and we see emotion and we see failures and success. And we get to like ride this whole wave and this beautiful storyline with people. And when someone is just taking a shortcut, it's just so gross. Also, just like the whole thing about just let them do whatever. Now it's a pharmaceutical race and it's who has more money who can afford more more stuff who can afford to have a doctor who can afford the latest drugs I mean it's just such a lazy argument and who will take the most risk with their lives too right imagine just imagine that and we all Chad and I have kids you have a kid Colt and 
I can't even imagine putting them into the world of sport where you have to cheat in order to even compete, putting their body at risk. That is crazy to me. It is crazy. And I mean, that's, that is what happens to some people's children. (laughs) They are told you have to do this or you're out. And that's just unacceptable to me. And the thing about it, and this is part of the reason why we're doing it, is that, that there are people in this world that are fighting the good fight, that are winning in small ways, that can win. And we have the ability to win this fight, but we need to educate people on why. We need to educate people on what the, the barriers are to that, which some of them are testing barriers. Some of them are leadership barriers in our, in our sport and in all sports. But there's hope. There's a reason to have hope. What else, Shanna, do you want to see with this relaunch of the Clean Sport Collective? We really want to educate and motivate that younger generation. And I think that when you look and hear these athletes' stories, there's always been somebody pivotal in their life that has pushed them to do the right thing, whether it's a coach or whether it's a parent or a friend there's always somebody in your life that makes you be a better version of yourself and that pushes you for doing right and fighting for justice and being humble and doing the right thing and i think that we really want to touch that ground level of these kids that can be impacted the right or the wrong way really early it's not a win at all cost mentality it's a do what right what's right cost like at at every single level of your life because it does affect the other areas and there are sadly there are kids out there that one may never encounter that person or two fall in the trap of people that want to take advantage of them and that's why you know even with the clean sport collective like there are agents that push you to do the wrong thing there are coaches that push you to do the wrong thing so it doesn't all lie on the athlete it lies on the whole collective so we do want to get out in front of kids i think that's so important and then we will talk about this um, partnership for clean competition conference that we're at and kara and i were like our eyes were open to an area of anti-doping that we never even knew about and me more newly in it but her as a professional athlete really in it to see this for the first time is you know it's a little sad so we want to have a fund where we bring more athletes into this conference and to have more persuasion at that political higher power so let's talk about the partnership for clean competition conference in london You guys were both just there, independently invited, from what I understand, from a couple of different sources. Both ended up there. We'll start with you, Shanna. Give me some additional reactions. What were your big takeaways from being there? I think the initial takeaways are a little daunting um, because we are when our fates are at, you know, um, world anti-doping WADA or IOC or the USOC, um, there, there's so much political, um, and power and money involved that it gets really corrupted really quickly. And I think we even saw that on a couple panels where they were just fighting within amongst each other. But then we also met really, really good people. 
that were there um, that really want to fight that good fight, like you were saying, and that want to make a difference. Kara and I had the honor of meeting Edwin Moses and just his story from a gold medalist to now being a part of every board and fighting to make a difference. Like he point blank said to us, it's, it's a really hard fight. Don't stop. And you're like, hmm. I feel really low, but really high. <laughs> when, <laughs> so, when Olympic gold medalist said, when Moses tells you not to stop, you don't stop. You don't stop. I mean, that's, you know, that's life. Everything worth fighting for is freaking hard. That's just the truth. And you have to be equipped for that. And you're going to have to know that money and power are really hard to combat. But a lot of good people fighting that good fight will always make a dent in some way or another. Which panel were you on? (laughs) (laughs) I was on a panel of the future stakeholders of clean sport. um, And I was on the panel with Michael Perlmutter, Perlmutter, who is the executive director of the Partnership for Clean Competition. And then somebody from WADA and then somebody from ITA, which is the International Testing Agency. So anything specific come out of your panel? Um, worth talking about? I wish I could say that there was. <laughs> uh, Michael and I shared that sentiment and went off the rails really, really quickly because there was a intertwined political fighting dynamic there yeah. that you're like, and and I said early on that we're, we started the Clean Sport Collective because there was not a lot of hope or trust in um, these organizations and I think they, they proved that. But this that is what panel. fans need to know is that Part of the challenge in anti-doping efforts is the fact that there are people in power in these organizations, WADA being an example, that are in the way. There are politics in the way of clean sport. We have the ability to catch more athletes or to follow through on more punishments for those that have been caught. But there are those in the powers that be, including WADA, the IOC, IAAF within the sport of running that are in the way and fans need to know that and fans need to call for change at those highest levels because if if they knew if every fan knew that the International Olympic Committee wasn't playing by the rules which was corrupting their experience every four years to watch those amazing events that happen in the Olympics then things could potentially change if fans called for that change so that's that's a part of it Kara, what did you take away from the conference? To be totally honest, I was overwhelmed. Um, I was overwhelmed with how much bureaucracy there is, um, men fighting like children, when supposedly we all have the same goal. Um, I, I feel like I learned so much and learned how little I know. Hmm. Um, realizing just how the different um, NATOs, the uh, National Anti-Doping doping agencies aren't all held to the same standard so what may be an offense in the u.s is not an offense somewhere else or the sentences differently or the testing protocols are differently um you know you as an athlete you just assume everyone's being tested as much as you are at the height of my career i was being tested you know like 20 to 26 times a year you just assume everyone else is as well and you know i was like you i was learning that there it's just it's kind of a crapshoot in other places. Um, 
I got to go in a drug testing lab. I've been drug tested since 1999. I have never been in a lab. I've been tested uh, for over 20 years. People have been watching me pee. Hmm. Uh, Seeing that process uh, was crazy. How many samples they're getting daily. Um, It made me nervous. I felt like I'm nervous right now. Don't show us this cross contamination, you know, but it was it was (laughs) eye opening. Um, And I think probably the best part for me was just connecting with other athletes that I have followed on social media, like Edwin Moses, um, Becky, Scott, um, Colin Skinner, like actually meeting these people face to face and making a connection with them and and establishing a relationship that maybe we can help each other moving forward. I think that was really powerful for me, but I did feel very overwhelmed by the whole experience. What did you learn about the space for the athlete's voice? I feel like there are people who who want to hear the athlete. I mean, at the end of the day, if there's no athletes, no one's making money. So to just box us out of it is so offensive. There were people who definitely wanted athletes to be more involved. There were people who were very belittling. Um, You're an athlete. What do you know about science? Hmm. What do you know about how a lab works? What do you know about what how to punish people? What do you know about budgetary concerns? Well, I'm an athlete, but I'm not stupid. And maybe you should be explaining it to me. And I can explain to you what it's like to be robbed over and over again in my fucking career. How about that? So that was actually very um, frustrating, but also good, because there was definitely people that wanted to bring athletes in, but there was people who don't want us in and are very belittling. And that was just bizarre to me. It's bizarre and crazy because that's tip. That's the point, right? I mean, the point <laughs> is to protect athletes. Supposedly, we all, all want the same thing, which is to protect the athlete. And you have athletes there who want to learn. And I, I'm like I said, there were people who definitely were like, athletes are not stupid. We want to bring you on. And there are other people that are like, you're not helping. You're not in the lab. You couldn't possibly understand. Well, try. Right. So what would you want to see? for athlete involvement? I I would love to see more athletes there. Like I said, it was just so eye-opening for me. And I mean, I I would hope that I'll be able to go back and be more educated and have more questions moving forward. Um, But I think it would be so helpful for athletes to see. And I feel like they're just not included in a lot of these conversations. One of the things that was so great about the PCC is that you're having scientists, researchers, you know, people in charge of drug testing in their countries, people from WADA, people who actually run the tests, people who are doing the research all in one room. I mean, that it just never happens. So I, I have a lot of hope for the conference and I feel like there's a lot to be learned. And I, I, I really hope Shannon and I, one of our big hopes for the Clean Sport Collective is to raise, is to, is to get our money and use a lot of that to bring other athletes there because i think if you were there then you come like look at this it lit a fire in us and we're like we need to keep pressing forward and it just helps build that community and that connection with athletes across all sports i mean olympic sports it's difficult we are on all sorts of different disciplines um how we make our money is different you know we don't we aren't we're not all the same. And so it's hard for us sometimes to connect with each other. So I think the more athletes that you can bring together, the more powerful it can be. One thing that's powerful about the partnership for clean competition, the PCC, and we'll talk more about this in our interview with Michael Perlmutter, the executive director, which will come out later, is that it is a partnership across not only the Olympic movement, but also 
Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the NHL, the PGA Tour, other major sports organizations, at least in the U.S., are involved in de- at different levels, but they're involved. What did you learn about that side of the equation, Shanna? I think that was a really great piece of the conference. Um, because if you go back to Major League Baseball, you immediately think of Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. And, you know, you you have no faith in baseball. But seeing how they've turned that sport around and uh, really positively, I would have never said this before the conference, but after hearing John Coyles, who will also have on, he's he leads the anti-doping um department of major league baseball being able to like connect with him and talk to him it matters uh it matters to the whole sport and they bring in a different view of collective bargaining which also the nfl brings i will personally say i think the mlb is doing it a lot better um and a lot more honestly uh and they have a really good system in place that I think that the Olympic movement could learn a lot from. And we even, Karen and I went to a panel on uh, TUEs, which is therapeutic use exemptions uh, panel. And the doctor that they had on board was uh, really intelligent, but also very caring about the athletes. So he was addressing um, TUEs for um, Adderall with baseball players. And it's a drug that has been abused in that sport. And then how do they monitor it? Who's allowed on it? And it was just, they are so on it. I, I mean, they're on it again. I'll echo Shanna. When I heard of major league baseball, I was like, okay. <laughs> and I left being like, wow, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're doing a lot of things. Right. Yeah. That we can learn a lot from, um, which was surprising. And I also really, uh, enjoyed one of the panels with, uh, one of the NFL um, I think he's also in the drug um, and safety department of the NFL. They were even saying that this is a little bit different than performance enhancing drugs that even, you know, marijuana is banned because they're also setting a precedence that when children look at, you know, the game, they don't want their athletes having some, you know, illicit drug use going on. So obviously that's not the case with all NFL players, but just to have that where we're now at and running, we're like, what do we do with marijuana? You know, I think that's a good stance that no, it shouldn't be allowed. So final takeaways from the conference, Shanna. Karen, I would definitely love to go back. Um, and I, again, like just a lot to learn. And I think that even though WADA and the IOC, the, they're almost impossible to work with now. That doesn't mean that there's no hope to work with them. Our goal is to want to be able to work with them. Right now, it feels like it's a hopeless goal, but hopefully we can get to the point where we can all work together for a solution. So let's talk about how people that might be listening can engage. Obviously, they can listen to the podcast. and We'll have other episodes coming out. We've mentioned the episode coming with Michael Perlmutter. With the PCC, an organization I knew nothing about until I walked in and talked to him yesterday when we interviewed him. We're having Miranda Carfrey on, who is the is a world-class triathlete who's won the Kona World Championships three times. We're having Kara's husband, Adam, on, who 
I think has a very clear and black and white perspective on this topic that is also very, very rich because of his experience in sport running at the highest levels. So those are some upcoming episodes. You mentioned John Coyles, Major League Baseball, head of their anti-doping program. Those are just four guests that will be coming to you with, and we'll be putting out these episodes now that we've re- released the first three every other week. So you can count on that coming every every other Sunday. What can people do who are listening to engage? Shanna. I would say go to cleansport.org. Sign the pledge. That's the easiest thing that you can do. And be aware of the athletes that are doing it the right way, the brands that are doing it the right way. And I mean, always feel free to like reach out, but educate yourself too, you know, and then learn that you, I know like it's such a daunting task. Like, well, what can I do? Well, you can do a lot, you know, you can, you can sign the pledge. You can educate children, your own or others, and you can be a pillar of integrity in every area of your life. And that matters. Kara, I'll give you the final word. What do you hope? How do you hope people respond to this? I mean, I hope that people learn a lot that they hear, as Shanna was saying, that these stories become humanized and we get to speak to athletes because again, athletes, their voice has been silenced so much on this topic. So I hope that they can really feel it and elevate those athletes that come forward. Um, really think about where they use their money um, and just have hope with us. Just continue to have hope and let's let's start to like reach across and all, like Shan was saying, everyone working together. Let's have WADA and the IOC and USADA and all the acronyms you can think of and let's all work <laughs> together. And um, I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want to see clean podiums and we want to see games we can believe in. Well, let's extend an olive branch and start working together. So there you go. Thank you, Kara. Thanks to you two, Shanna and Kara, for everything that you're doing on this topic. I know there's lots of hours behind the scenes that don't go noticed. So thank you. Thank you also to those that are listening to us so far. Hopefully you'll share the podcast, invite your friends to listen, become educated. Go listen to our third episode, which has already been released with Kevin Rutherford, CEO of Noon Hydration and one of the original board members for the Clean Sport Collective. Then look out for our next episode, episode four, which will come out in a couple of weeks. For that one, you'll get to hear a great interview with Jenny Simpson, one of the greatest U.S. milers of all time. She has four global championship medals and sat down with us to talk about this topic in the world of track and field. Of course, in the meantime, you can also Check out more information at cleansport.org and follow us on social media at cleansportco on Twitter or Instagram. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.